0: I'm reading then from the first letter of Peter, starting right at the beginning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, To be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish. Spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was succumbed to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope are in God now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other love one another deeply from the heart for you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures for ever. And this is the word of the Lord that was preached to you. Therefore... Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. So One Peter, we're starting a new series on One Peter. Um, I'm not sure if you followed the whole of that clip, it was incredibly fast, and um, thanks to Nikki for reading the passage slightly slower. (laughs) Um, So we'll we'll start thinking about this book today. I have to say, I have found the continual flow of difficult news quite challenging this week. Um, I'm a trustee of the YMCA, which is a youth organization locally. And we're grappling with the implications of the energy price hikes. Uh, We have um, many, many units of supported accommodation and um, the prices that we're facing for the energy are just crippling. So we're grappling with, you know, what do we do uh, with a budget that's just blown to shreds by inflation and by energy price rises? On top of this, um, there's news of the devastating loss of life and the loss of livelihoods in Pakistan with the floods. On top of that, there are strikes, rail strikes, postal strikes. Um, Every one of those strikes represents people who are in difficulty wanting to have their voices heard. On top of that, there's the news about, you know, the NHS continuing to struggle with providing the service that we need. It feels like a really grim picture at the moment. And I know that that's grim, and there are probably many stories of positive things that are also happening in the world. We're maybe not hearing them as much, Um, So, I do know that it's not all bad. But I think I've been finding this particularly challenging as I've been preparing this talk on hope and this question of what do we really hope for and what difference does it make? How is the hope that we have as Christians relevant to the challenges that we're encountering um, in our personal lives, but also how is it relevant to the challenges that we face in our collective lives? If you imagine, imagine you're in a conversation with someone who's not a Christian. They might have a faith, but they might not call themselves a Christian. They might have no faith at all. And you're in a conversation with them, and they're curious. And they ask you, so what is it that you hope for because you're a Christian? What a brilliant question. What an important question. How would you finish the sentence? Because I believe in the good news of Jesus, I hope for. I was thinking about this and I was struck that there are loads of promises of God that I feel I can hold on to and that I hope for as I try and live a life of faith. But I was quite quickly then caught by the next question, which is, well, how does that make a difference? How does that make a difference to your life? How does it make a difference to the choices that you make on a daily basis? These are really interesting and important questions. What do we hope for? And what difference does it make to us every day? And that's what our passage today is all about, these these questions. What we hope for and how we live in response to this hope. What we hope for and our choice of holy lives. This is about hope and it's about holiness. So let's start with the passage and recap of what we know. So we know that Peter was in Rome and he was writing to Christians who were Gentiles. Um, They were Gentiles which meant they weren't Jews before they became Christians and they're suffering persecution, discrimination, prejudice, and difficulty. Their daily lives weren't easy. Their daily dose of news was bad. Uh, probably not dissimilar to our daily dose of news. But actually, for them, probably more real in a personal way because they were suffering persecution. So, Peter's letter is a letter that encourages them to hang on to the hope they have as an anchor for the difficult times. And he starts with a really lovely, wonderful couple of sentences which we'll we'll spend most of our time on. He says, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. within within moments of starting the letter he does his greeting and he dives straight into this this is the first thing he has to say let's listen to it in the message version of the Bible what a God we have how fortunate we are to have him, this father of our master Jesus, because Jesus was raised from the dead we have been given a brand new life and everything to live for including a future in heaven and the future starts now So when I read this, what what I noticed was two aspects of this hope that we have. The first aspect is that it's a living hope. And the second is that it's an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. And as Liz was talking about earlier, my first thought was, so what is this hope? What is the hope? The hope is that because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, we stand in a place where we can be connected with God. We can be in relationship with God because of the work of Jesus. And Peter starts his letter by praising God's mercy. In his mercy, he's given us a new hope. Because God is merciful, because of God's grace, we can be in relationship with him. So that's our hope, that we can be in connection, in unity, and in relationship with God. God, who is the source of all love, all light, and all, um, all love and all light in the world. All love and all light. Because of our relationships with him, we can hope. So what this means is we have a hope for how we handle the challenges in our lives. A perspective that we bring to them. A belief that in folding everything, no matter how challenging, there is love and there is life and there is God so let's consider the the two things the living hope and the future inheritance firstly the future inheritance that people talks about Christian life can be framed as having a hope of eternal life Um, the coming of the kingdom of God this is future focused this is a hope which is not fearful of death but it's a hope that we will have a future completely in the presence of God unfiltered presence of God. A future in permanent connection and permanent unity with the source of all love and all light. And this inheritance won't perish or fade or spoil. And that's a wonderful image to hold. My nephew loves watermelon. And as soon as he gets um, a, 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 a bowl of watermelon, he just he holds onto the bowl and he shovels it into his mouth with this anxiety that, that somehow someone will take one from him or, or it, will, it will somehow be lost. And, and that image just came to mind as I was thinking about this. This inheritance we have, we don't have to hold onto it tightly. It will never fade. It will never perish. We don't have to be anxious about earning it or striving for it. It's not about us, it's about God holding it for us. It's there because of our faith in God. Um, the power of God is keeping this inheritance safe. It's not our power, it's not our strength. It's His for safekeeping, which is good news. It's out of our reach, He can look after it so Peter is keen to assure these very troubled Christians that no matter how grim and how difficult the tribulations they're facing no matter how dark this inheritance won't be spoiled it won't diminish it's safe and it's steady and it's secure and the same I think is true for us no matter how difficult things seem either personally or on the world stage what we hope for the unfiltered presence of God is safe and secure Now for some in Peter's churches, and maybe for some of us, it strikes me that this future hope may be exactly what we hold on to as the anchor. It may be the thing that really keeps us going. But because we're all different, it also strikes me that for some of us and for some of those in Peter's churches, that might seem seem a little far off. It might seem a little conceptual and a bit hard to grasp in the pragmatic day-to-day of life. It may not feel real enough to hope for something that happens then. And that's what I love about the second side of this coin, which is the living hope that we have. This is a reminder that the hope we have is absolutely here for the here and now. It's not just for the future, it's for now. The kingdom of God is present now as well as being something that we hope for. Every act of kindness, every act of love, every act of compassion is the kingdom of God in the world now. And so what we can be confident of is that we can be in the presence of God and we can be in connection and unity with that source of light and love now, as well as the hope for the future. It's here today, it will be here tomorrow, and the day after. This was available to the Christians who were facing persecution in the first century and is absolutely available to us. Notice in verse 9, Peter writes, you are receiving the the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He writes it in the present tense. We are receiving it. This is the living hope that we have. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, I think we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will be done today. We pray it today, we can pray it tomorrow. It's our living hope. This passage in Peter reminds me of that other passage in Hebrews, which you may remember. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance in what we do not see. So if we seek to live a life of faith, we're seeking to live with confidence of what we hope for. And it strikes me that there's a difference between certainty and confidence, which is really important for us to discern. I'm not convinced there is a lot of value in seeking absolute certainty about anything in our spiritual journey certainty gives us the illusion of control the illusion of knowing I wonder if we can ever be certain I wonder sometimes whether in our drive for certainty actually we somehow squash the room for the possibility for God to be beyond all of our imagining certainty can really narrow things down It can make uh, judgment easier and curiosity harder. It can make things sharp around the edges. So perhaps Peter's not encouraging people to be absolutely certain about the hope they have. He's encouraging them to have confidence. Perhaps building confidence is less about being clear and it's more about a strength of heart, which is what Liz was saying earlier on. Where does this come from? It comes from our hearts. Perhaps having confidence in our hope is about strength of heart, a choice to hold on to our promises without knowing exactly how things will pan out. We don't know what the end point looks like, but maybe this is an encouragement to hope and to keep learning as we go through life. It seems to me that in these troubled times, nationally, globally, whatever's going on in your life, We need to learn how to travel through our lives together and strengthen our confidence in this hope that we have. How can we strengthen our hope together, I wonder? And I was thinking about this and it struck me that I think it starts with being honest with one another. Let's talk with one another about what we hope for. Let's talk with one another about the doubts that we have, where we don't feel very hopeful, where we struggle to hope. Let's not hide our lack of confidence or our questions. Let's bring it out into the light and let's talk about it with one another. Because I think that's what would have happened when Peter's letter was received by the churches. They would have read the letter and then I'm imagining they would have sat around and talked about it and talked about what it meant for them. How about we grow our confidence together by talking together and encouraging one another? So that's the hope we have, the living hope, and the future inheritance that is safe. The second piece of the passage then is responding to this, looking at what our response to this hope that we have is. How does this hope and this confidence we have play into our choices and the way we see the world? So Peter's clear. He starts verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are sober and alert, be holy, just as he is holy. He's encouraging us to live a holy life. And I have to say, there's a lot, there is a lot to say about what a holy life might look like. And I felt rather um, inadequate to stand in front of you today and start saying, here, this is what we should do to be holy. So I thought, well, let's just keep this really rooted in the passage. What does the passage say about a holy life? I noticed three things. He emphasized firstly that a holy life takes a different reference point entirely than a life without a faith in Jesus. He puts it in quite black and white terms. He refers to people's lives before they became Christians as being um, full of evil desires and living in ignorance, which I thought was quite harsh. (laughs) But his point is this, that a reference point for a life without faith is fundamentally different. The reference point that we have is God. It's not wealth, or status, or intellect, or success. It's not any of the things that may give us earthly hope. As God is holy, so we too need to be holy. We should be mirroring this holiness. So we have a different different thing that our lives orbit around. We orbit around our holy God. I wonder if our lives orbit around our hope, for this life in connection and unity with God? Or do they orbit around something else that we find helpful to manage the difficulties of life? One understanding of what holy means is it means being set apart. God is set apart. He's unique. He's not like us. He's set apart. So being holy is not just about moral purity. It is also about mirroring this God that we have the uniqueness of God not imagining being set apart in a lofty or a smug way but being set apart in a way that gives us a different way of looking at life a different way of looking at what's happening in the world so that's the first thing I see in this passage Um, a holy life is a life with a slightly different perspective because it's a life that orbits around God the second thing I think is very clear Peter says Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. There it is again, the heart. A holy life is characterized by sincere love, by loving deeply from the heart. And the third thing I see is his encouragement to moderate our behavior. He gives us a list of things to avoid. This is moving into the territory of moral purity. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. This is a little list of characteristics that packs quite a big punch. As I read those, it struck me that they are all things that diminish other people. Their ways of behaving or their ways of thinking that diminish others and raise ourselves up. It is a a list that is worth dwelling on for each of us, reflecting on which aspects of these show up in our lives. But trying to take it all on board seems like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. Perhaps a holy life is a simple life. Perhaps we can pick one area to think about, not all of them. All of them in one go, anyway. Perhaps it's a choice to live a life of sincere love. Perhaps it's a choice to live a life that is free from envy. Or a choice of a life that is free from saying things about people which we wouldn't say to them. So, a holy life. A life that mirrors the unique love and light and life of God. A life which orbits around God in response to the hope that we have. A life of love and a life free from behaviour and ways of thinking that diminish and reduce others. So as we finish, let's go back to the people who will have received this letter and read it first. If the men and women reading this letter in the churches that it went around to, if they received encouragement from Peter, they found something to stand for both in the present and in the future. They found something bigger than the challenges and the persecution and the troubles that they were facing every day. They found a hope that they felt was real. A hope that was as real as the daily difficulties. This was the hope of having freedom of spirit and of being connected and and in relationship with God. A A hope maybe of a life of peace of the soul. As a result of this hope, they found the drive and the determination to make choices about how they lived each day, to love one another, etc. So finishing, just reminding us of verse 8 and 9, Peter says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls my hope is that each one of us may find something real something of this real hope for each one of us in our lives today both now and in the future that we might strengthen our hearts together and build our confidence in this and that we might identify an aspect of our lives that we can refine in response to this to choose to live in holiness and in sincere love to choose to live in a way that builds others up rather than tears them down.